Ladies and gentlemen, I am Michael Joseph. And I am Adam Michael, and we are 1990 what? Your 1990s rock and alternative music podcast. Mostly 90s music, but we will be discussing all things 90s from toys to everything. You might hear something from like 1988. 1990 what? 1994, 1999. Who knows? Everything nostalgic about the 90s is what you're going to hear with us, please. Find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good day, folks. Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. Your weekly good-looking treats of music stories to enjoy with your cheating heart. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're really you're really striving. I did. I try and count, especially when you're flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Oh well. It was good enough. It's good. Try and count. Yes, it does. Still does. Good job, Maggie. Yay! <laughs> We're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And this week we are talking about Hank Williams, Sr. There is a difference. <laughs> uh, the first Hank Williams. Hank Williams the first. Yes, the first. Ooh, yes. <laughs> and to join us on tonight's expedition, we are drinking Burton Batten by Dogfish Head. Because the guy on the card... For- the carton looks like He looks Hank like Williams. Hank Williams. Like, I don't give a shit what anybody says. It looks like Hank Williams. Yeah. He's a man I'm, with a little cowboy hat and a guitar. He looks like Hank Williams. He kind of looks like a pretty perfect uh, combination of Hank Williams and John Wayne. See, I don't me. see the John Wayne. I do. I mean, maybe, like, the face a little, but just, like, John Wayne's a bigger guy. Yeah, but in the face, it I looks guess. like John Wayne. I guess to it's... Me, like, you know what it is? It's the hat. That's like a John Wayne hat. But it's also a Hank Williams hat. Well, they're very similar people. Are we sure they're not the same person? They're they're very much not. Oh. <laughs> they're, they're very much not. Okay. Which would be good, because I don't... Whoa, again, that would be a really good conspiracy theory to start. Uh, Let's put that know, on the internet. How do we know it's not real? We don't. People. Maybe I mean, we should be looking into this. Have we ever seen Hank Williams and John Wayne in the same room at the same time? I don't think we have. Yeah, think and about it. Supposedly, Hank Williams died very young, so maybe mm. he died only for John Wayne to resurrect. And John Wayne fashion. dodged the draft. So what was he doing? Right. Not being in World War II. Right. Think about it. Think about it. Hashtag conspiracy theories. <laughs> Hashtag John Williams. Hank Wayne. Hank Wayne. <laughs> well, that's a weird... Hank Wayne. Hank Wayne. That doesn't... I like it, though. That does not roll off the tongue. No. Hank Wayne. And that's why I like it. Hank Wayne. <laughs> Can you imagine me in the king class? Hank Wayne. And all the kids are just like... And, and I don't know why his name sounds funny. It just like, does. I feel like that can't even be his last name. Hank Wayne is his first oh name. God. Somebody just really loves the wild, wild west. So his name's Hank Wayne Smith. <laughs> because clearly we need to put Will Smith in there somewhere. Because it's the wild, wild west. Wickety wild, wild west. This is a 10% beer and we're halfway through our first one. Yeah. We're, we're saucy already. Oh, 
quite saucy. And can we always blame it on the beer? Yes. Maybe we're just delightful. I mean, I'm always going to try to blame it on the beer, even though my tolerance level is ridiculously high at this point. But still. Anyway. Yes. With all that said. With all that said, let's get the fuck into Hank Williams. Hank Williams. The first. The first. Yes. We're not going to talk about the second or the third. Wait, there's a third? Yeah. There's a Hank Williams Jr. Jr.? Is that how you say that? Is it Jr. Jr.? Yes, that is how you... <laughs> that's, it. that's not how you say it, is it? It's Hank Williams the third, isn't it? Yes. When, when they're Jr. Juniors, they're it's, just the third. It's just... It's Hank Williams, who's who we're going to talk about today. Yes. And then there's Hank Sr., that's the second one. And then Hank the third is obviously the third. But doesn't he go by Hank Williams Jr.? No, he goes by Hank Sr., I think. What, now? Yeah. But he's he also makes music, and he makes music as Hank Williams Jr. No, I thought he was senior. No, he's junior. Fuck. Junior, senior. Because their dad would be... Okay, so Hank Williams, the one we're talking about, should be senior. Right, yeah. And then his son is Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. And then his son is Hank Williams Jr. Jr. I'm blaming it on the beer. It's 10%. It's 10%. I don't... Whatever. It has Hank Williams on it. That's who we're calling it. Anyway. Yeah. But I think you're right. (laughs) I'm just a fucking idiot. I don't know. (laughs) It's it's confusing. Hey, you know what? Moral of the story. Don't name your kids after you. Yeah. It makes male... Really confusing when it comes to the house. Who is this for? Is it for dad? Is it for my brother? I don't know. It also makes it difficult when people are calling the house looking for like junior. Yeah. It's but they don't but they don't say it. Yeah. I should know because my oldest brother has my dad's name. My oldest brother is a junior. Oh, that's annoying. Yeah. But anyway. Anyway, but we are talking. We're about- talking too much right now about garbage, so let's just get into Hank Williams. Yes. So Hank Williams was born Hiram King Williams on September 17th, 1923 in Mount Olive, Alabama, the third child of Jesse Lilybell and Alonzo Williams. He got his interesting name from his parents who were Freemasons. More specifically, his dad was a Freemason and his mother was a member of the Order of the Eastern Star because women are not allowed to be Freemasons. Freemasons. That is correct. But Order of the Eastern Star is apparently, like, some some splinter group of the Freemasons where yeah. men and women are allowed to join. Even before he was born, his family experienced a lot of hardship. Frank's father served in World War I, where he suffered serious injury when he fell off a truck, broke his collarbone, and suffered a severe blow to the head. Oof. After he came home, their second child, which would have been Hank's older brother, died shortly after birth. Mm. But Hank was painfully shy as a kid. A contributing factor could have been Alonzo's absence through most of Hank's childhood. Alonzo suddenly started suffering from facial paralysis, and in an attempt to figure out what was wrong, the family went to a specialist in Florida. The doctor determined Alonzo suffered a brain aneurysm and sent him to a VA medical center in Louisiana to recover. Oh, jeez. He also could have had uh, PTSD mm. from his time in World War One. Well, yeah. Because World War One was fucked up. That so wasn't, That wasn't the funnest war. Not exactly. <laughs> so he probably had a little bit of shell shock. Wow. Um, 
He ended up staying in the VA hospital in Louisiana for eight years, leaving Lily to raise their two children by herself in Alabama. Wow. Hank only saw his father twice in those entire eight years. That's crazy. But somehow, even though Hank grew up during the Great Depression, Mm -hmm. they managed really well. Unlike our other two subjects of this month. Yeah. Yeah. But somehow they convinced or they got a prominent politician to help them collect Alonzo's like pension, his war pension. So they were getting that as income. And also Lily made a really good choice of career. And she opened a bunch of boarding houses around where they lived in Alabama. And it was the Great Depression. That's the only place anybody could afford to live in if you weren't like a family and you weren't farmers or whatever. Right. So she always got income from that. Oh, she went into real estate? She's smart. Yeah. She knew what was up. But complicating things were Hank's own medical issues. He was born with spina bifida occulta, a birth defect that creates complications and sometimes extreme pain along the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Hank's case was pretty severe and he would be in constant pain throughout his life, which probably contributed a lot to his later drug and alcohol abuse. His back issues made him a really weak kid. He couldn't work on farms, factories, or lumberyards because of his back pain. And probably in an attempt to dull the pain with very few options to do so, he began drinking at age 11. What? That's 11. so young. I, I didn't even know what alcohol was at oh, 11. I very much knew what alcohol was. But I was very... I gingerly stepped into my love of alcohol. I really didn't start drinking drinking until I was in college. But when I was a kid, I would always be like, Hey, Dad, what you drinking? Beer. You want to sip? Yep. Every week. Yep. And I I think the first time he did it, he thought I wouldn't like it. Yeah. Joke's on him. I fucking loved it. Little did you know, Dad. Little did you know, Dad. I very much knew what beer was because my dad drank a lot of beer. Mm. Um, But I didn't really know what, like, hard liquor was. I didn't know what wine was because nobody... And my family drank wine. But when my parents would go out on the very rare occasion that my parents would go out. Actually, no, that's not true. My dad went out all the time. (laughs) You mean your parents went out together? No, they did not. (laughs) Um, My mom never drank when my sister and I were growing up. My dad drank a lot. And I don't know what he drank when he went to the bar or whatever. But I'm quite positive he drank a lot of hard liquor when we weren't around. Beer was like his calming down at the end of a hard work day drink. Yeah. He would have a couple beers in the evening and that was it. I know that feel. But on the weekend, Friday night, he was out at the bar probably down in some vodka or whatever. Yeah, see, I can't picture being 11 and down in some whiskey. And being okay with it. Yeah. And feeling like, yeah, this feels good. Because I feel like... Nowadays, an 11-year-old could drink a wine cooler and be like, this tastes great. Yeah, they could drink a spiked seltzer and be like, this is delicious. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I feel like if you gave an 11-year-old a bottle of just potato vodka, they would throw up immediately. (laughs) Uh, I would do that. (laughs) I would give it a potato vodka? Be like, hey, drink this. You want to know what what alcohol tastes like? Here you go. Here you go, kid. Oh, man, I go with, like, the Svedka bullshit, too. Oh, yeah. Give him some Mr. Boston. See how he feels the next morning. 
But one thing that gave Hank reprieve from the physical pain was music. Oh. He was a devout fundamentalist Baptist as a child and often performed at church with his mother, who was an organist in their congregation. He even slept with a Bible in bed with him. Oh, Cute. Oh, Bible boy. He would carry this devotion throughout his short life, dipping into the religious well often to get inspiration for new songs. And he loved to go to church to hear music. And he didn't really care which church he went to just as long as there was music. He went to his own church regularly, but he would also sneak around to other churches. Oh my god. Oh, he's cheating on his church he's with cheating other on churches. His church. yeah. yeah. Scandals. <laughs> he would get a lot of inspiration from sitting outside black churches and listening to them sing gospel songs. Yup. Yeah. But just listening and singing wasn't enough. Eventually, he got a guitar. Several people around their small town of Greenville, Alabama, would claim that they bought Hank his first guitar. Oh my god. But more than likely, his mother bought it after getting enough money from selling homegrown peanuts. With, oh, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. That'd be awesome. She Yeah, she also had a pretty sweet produce stand where she made some extra money. Dude, I would love to have peanuts in my backyard. <laughs> peanuts are great. Could you imagine just like walking around like, ooh, peanut time. We have to dig them up. They're dirty. I'd still eat them. Yeah. So with his new guitar, Hank recruited friends and neighbors to teach him traditional folk songs. Oh, that's nice. But it was a black street musician named Rufus T-Top Payne that had the biggest influence on young Hank. A 12-year-old Hank basically bribed T-Top into giving him blues guitar lessons, giving him a few cents here and there, or meals Lily made herself. Which is kind of a testament to how well they were doing during the Depression. Yeah. If Hank had a few cents on him every, like, every couple of days. I mean, he's basically paying for guitar lessons. Yeah. During the Great Depression. Yeah. Who has extra money to pay for guitar lessons? I got two words for you. Dust Bowl. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I know that wasn't in Alabama, but I'm just saying. But still. Shit was not good back in those days. Nah. Wasn't, wasn't great. T-Tot didn't just teach Hank random songs to play on guitar. He taught him the fundamentals of music, how to play chords and chord progressions, and how to feel the blues when you're playing. He was a huge influence on... on, I keep calling him Frank. His name's not Frank. His name's not Frank. It's Hank. (laughs) T-Tot was a huge influence on Hank, who would credit T-Tot as his only teacher and helped young Hank get over his shyness. So he's 100% paying... For private lessons. Yes, absolutely. That's 100% what this is. Yeah. Wow. But of course, T-Tot, a black man in the South in the 1930s, would never get proper recognition for his contribution to music in Hank's career. After Hank's family moved to Montgomery, Alabama in 1937, the two lost touch. T-Tot eventually also moved to Montgomery, but would unfairly die in poverty and obscurity in 1939. Hank would go on to record one of T-Tot's songs, My Bucket's Got a Hole in It, which would become highly recognized. (laughs) Coming up next on Casey Kasem's Top 40 is uh, the new hit by Hank Williams, My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. (laughs) Granted, a lot of his songs really do sound pretty ridiculous. They do. They they. In complete fairness, they but do. as simplistic as they sound, they were really effective. No, they were. <laughs> they were. And I mean, arguably, a lot of songs like that at that time 
were very like this is exactly what the song's about yeah. like there was no mystery behind the title well, like that was the deal with country music at that yeah, time it I mean, was simplistic and straightforward if they were sad you knew they were fucking sad like, if they you were knew happy what you, you were getting into by the you, title yes you knew exactly what you were getting into <laughs> but anyway my bucket's got a hole in it would become highly recognized as a traditional country and blues song many years later but T-Tot didn't live to see any of the profits from it, or would have gotten profits from it anyway. Yeah, I was gonna say, wait a minute. Oh no, he never- Oh no. no. Ironic that T-Tot would pass away with no recognition or money from his contributions to country music, but his student, a skinny white boy from Alabama, would go on to become one of the greatest names in country music ever. That's kind of how that works. Kind of- Unfortunately- in so many cases. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Hashtag justice for T-Tot. Oh, justice for T-Tot indeed. Yeah, I'm I'm all right with, with T-Tot. Shortly after moving to Montgomery, Hank decided to officially leave the name Hiram behind him. Ostensibly, it was because Hank sounds a lot more like a country musician's name than Hiram does. Yup. But Hank would often tell a story about how he heard a cat howling his name one evening. He thought the cat was calling to him, so he decided to change it to Hank. No, Hank. It was the potato vodka. Yeah. There wasn't a cat. You were drunk. It may have been the beer or the moonshine. Any one of those things. Probably not the cat. I like how right now with this era of country music, it's mostly just moonshine and amphetamines. We've really, we've really gotten away from cocaine. It's been kind of a pleasant break. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Moonshine and amphetamines is kind of exciting. After changing his name, he started entering talent shows, which he would often win. Then he, much like his guitar teacher, T-Tot, became a street performer and bucks, bu- busker. I can never say this word. Busker. Busked. Busker. Yeah. It's just busker. But it's busked. But he became a street performer and busked outside the WSFA oh, radio busked. station studios. That's how the sentence goes. <laughs> Past busked. tense. Busked. <laughs> the radio station's producers obviously noticed him and they brought him in to perform on air. Tons of people called in to hear more of Hank's singing, possibly because his mom got all her friends and family to call in requests. So the producers gave Hank his own twice-weekly 15-minute radio show. Hey, just to throw it out there, that's what it means when you go in and you support people, like your friends and your family when they're doing stuff, and they're like, hey, can you listen to this thing I'm making? Or maybe, like, go online and review it? Or, like, suggest it to your other friends? Lily Bell Williams knew what the fuck she was doing. She did. She is a true supporter. Be like Lily Bell. Hashtag be like Lily Bell. (laughs) We got a lot of hashtags in this episode. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Mind you, Hank was only around 14 years old at this time. Wait, what? He's only 14. He's a baby. Yeah, and he already has a twice-weekly radio show on, like, a a pretty big radio station in Montgomery, Alabama. But that didn't stop him from starting his first band with the money he was making from his radio show. He started the Drifting Cowboys sometime in 1938-39, and his mom became their manager. She was kind of like the first soccer mom, but I guess you would call her a band mom. She's a stage mom. 
But like she wasn't controlling them. She was just oh. managing them. She was oh. getting their shows. She was just bringing bringing them to their gigs. Yeah, she booked the shows. She negotiated pay, and she drove them to gigs. Okay. So she was she was like a band. Yeah, mom. that you're right. That's more like a soccer mom than a stage mom. Yeah. Like, a soccer mom is you, like, I'm going to be there, I'm going to support you, I'm going to drive you to where you need to be. I'm going to clap even if you suck. But, like, a stage mom is going to be like, what were you doing tonight? What yeah. were you doing What's on stage? What's wrong with you? That was terrible. You need to do I want better you, next you are not allowed to go to bed or have any food until you go upstairs and you practice for three hours. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. All right, so soccer mom. Yeah. All right. By 1939, Hank had dropped out of school and the band started touring around the southern states in Florida. Even though he was a young teenager, his alcohol use was already a problem. He blew a lot of money the drifting cowboys made at gigs on booze. Huh. And despite his young age, was apparently a ladies' man, often getting into fights with the ladies' boyfriends. That seems... Scary? Weird. <laughs> yeah. All I can think of is in BoJack Horseman when they have the three kids in the trench coat with the yeah. hat. And he's like, can I have an alcohol? <laughs> I do business. (laughs) Like, that's all I can think of is that Hank Williams was just, I would like an alcohol, please. I am a grown adult. I am an adult and would like to date your woman. Wobbling wobbling back on someone's shoulders. (laughs) Like, that's kind of what I'm thinking here. And and the hat still fits. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Supposedly, he liked to use his guitar as a weapon. I assume there was a budget just to buy him new guitars after fights. Holy shit! Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of that's kind of awesome, actually. I'm kind of impressed. I mean, if you take a look at pictures of Hank as like a 20-something-year-old adult, he wasn't a big dude. No, he's he very... He was really skinny. He's, he's slight. Yes. He was a very slight man. Very yes. svelte. But, I don't even think I'd say spelt. That kid was a toothpick. Yeah, yeah, he really All was. All tea, no shade. Like, that kid. He was literally made of toothpicks. I feel like I could have, like, blown in his general direction. He would be like, oh no, someone left the window open again. <laughs> Thanks for the drink. Yeah. 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 That's what I think um, happened. So, I, I mean, if the only thing you have on hand is the guitar and you get into a fight, you're probably going to use the guitar. Seriously. But it seems that Hank had a penchant for sabotaging himself and or his career. And this was just the beginning. In 1941, the U.S. entered World War II. An 18-year-old Hank was never drafted and was granted a deferment because of his back. Oh, yeah. They don't want him. <laughs> he can't even walk. What's wrong with I mean, him? Fucking hunchback. Though. They would look at him and be like, you're very slight. We can't take you. Yo, Quasimodo. Damn. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like a Steve Rogers situation where he's like, but I want to fight in the war. And like, oh, honey, no. Oh, oh no. We oh, won't no. even let you cook. The only no. difference is there was no secret soldier serum like there was in Captain America. So there was no way they were going to be like, just take Hank Williams anyway. Yeah, it wasn't going to happen. But imagine what could have happened. Sorry, Hank, you're not Captain America. But imagine what could have happened Hank. Hank I'm Williams, sorry. Hank Williams Captain is America. Hank Williams is no Chris Evans. I mean, but who is? Nobody. Now with that beard? Mm-hmm. But they didn't take him because he apparently fell off of a bull during a rodeo in Texas and that aggravated his spina bifida. Oh, I was going to say, were they judging him for falling off a bull? Because that shit's hard. I don't. 
Don't I mean, people I'm usually judging, fall off a bowl? I was judging a from rodeo? a mechanical bowl. I don't know, but I imagine a real bowl is the same, if not more difficult. They didn't specify if it was a real bowl or a mechanical bowl. I imagine it's real. But it was a rodeo in Texas. Irregardless? <laughs> yeah. Like, that, that stuff's hard, and maybe you shouldn't have done it with spina bifida. Also, you knew you had this debilitating back problem, so why would you get on a fucking bowl? And you know what? Whether it's real or mechanical. We shouldn't be getting on real bowls anyway. No. Rodeos are terrible. Yeah, they're cruel. Don't go to like, them. don't do it. Don't support them. Stop it. Fucking don't. Just like horse racing. Don't support horse There's racing. There's no reason to do it. We don't need it. We, we have the internet. We don't need this for entertainment yeah. anymore. We have online poker. Just do that. That's gambling. It's fine. <laughs> Same diff. Same diff. Uh, <laughs> Go to Foxwoods. I would say, meet me at Foxwoods. Shut up. <laughs> for the wonder of it all. Stop it. <laughs> Never. <laughs> So yeah, he got a deferment because of his back, but all of his bandmates were drafted. Holy shit. Every single one of his bandmates was drafted into the war. Oh no. So he had to find new bandmates. Problem being, nobody wanted to work with Hank because of his horrible drinking problem. Oh, you lost the only people. You lost your only ride or dies. Yeah. And you're only 18. And more bad news awaited. Even when the Drifting Cowboys were touring, he would trek back to Montgomery to play his radio show. But he more often than not showed up drunk, and the producers were not having it. So in 1942, they fired him for, quote, habitual drunkenness. I mean, maybe, like, you should start thinking about getting help. Like, cutting it down a little bit? Just, like, you just gotta cut a couple drinks out a day. Or if you know you have something to do, just take out a couple. Right. But I mean... No health insurance. I mean, did they need health insurance back then? If they could just like stroll up into the doctor's office and be like, hey, and he's going to be like, here's some cocaine. Have a good time. (laughs) Yes, yes. I see your problem. You don't have any cocaine. Baby loves the white stuff. (laughs) Here's a new elixir I just made up. It's full of cocaine. Here, It's mostly just cocaine. A little bit of heroin. Cures cancer. Cures tumors. Cures mental illness. Kills toe fungus. All of it cured. Cocaine. (laughs) Cocaine. Take on the white stuff. I'm on it now and I feel great. (laughs) Eye explodes. (laughs) Pretty much. That's pretty much what I assume the way of the health system went back then. You just walked into an office, he threw some pills at you and you just went to see what happened. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I don't know about the entire country, but at least in the South, they still had traveling medicine shows. With oh those, no, that's like the snake oil shit, right? Yeah, where quote unquote doctors like strolled through town on their fucking wagons and tried to hawk all these magic elixirs that would cure everything from tumors to you know venereal disease. And half the time, it's just like ginger root in some yeah, water. it's just, it's garbage. It's yeah. fucking black licorice with vinegar. Yeah, that's, that's all, all it is. It's basically essential oils. But 1930s style. With some coke in it sometimes, if you're lucky. So it's better than essential oils is what you're telling me. It makes you feel better. All right. But all was not lost. He found regular work in shipbuilding for the rest of the war. And then in 1943, he met and fell in love with Audrey May Shepard, whom he worked with in Mobile, Alabama. Aww. Audrey was a young woman fresh off a messy breakup with her first husband. And she came with a daughter, Lycretia. I, I, I don't know if I Lucretia? said Lucretia? Nope. Lycretia. Okay. Who was only a year or two old. 
Audrey, by all means, was a very ambitious woman. She had dreams of her own, and she saw Hank as a way to make them come true. This is 1940s Southern America. Being a divorced woman with a child was pretty much a death knell, and mm-hmm. she would have been christened an old maid, and th- old maid and thrown out to the world with very few options for love post-divorce. What are you, like, 24? Oh my god, you used goods. Oh, gross. Tarnished woman. Ugh. She X is, rated. She is rated X. That's it. She's <laughs> rated X. But Audrey saw something special in Hank and knew she should hold on to this one. So the couple married in December 1944 at a Texaco gas station in Andalusia, Alabama. Yeah. Apparently the justice of the peace that married them works out of the Texaco station. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. The marriage itself shows how eager Audrey was to start her new life with Hank since it was declared illegal because she wasn't even fully divorced from her first husband before marrying Hank. Oh. Apparently, back then when you divorced, you had to have a 60-day reconciliation period. So I think that was the time between when you file for divorce and when the divorce is official. Or like maybe after the divorce is official, you have to like wait a couple extra weeks. Maybe something, something where you have to wait 90 days before you can marry anybody else in case you want to reconcile with your oh, your husband, that makes sense. in case you think twice about it, and maybe don't think twice. It's all no, right. Just go for it. Fuck it. But after the marriage was declared legal and the couple moved back to Montgomery, Audrey took over management of Hank's band. Nice. Naturally, this didn't go over well with Lily, who was still Ooh. their manager at the time. Ooh. Okay, never mind. Woof. Yeah. No. Ooh, whoops. Lily was not happy about Uh-oh. this. Something that also didn't go over well, Audrey joined the Drifting Cowboys. She wasn't a great singer and was only mediocre on upright bass, but she pulled her own weight in a band in the band despite objections from the other members. Hmm. But this was probably a good move on everyone's part because this was really when Hank's career started gaining some traction. Okay. Audrey, by all means, knew what the fuck she was doing. And also, like, shout out to female bassists. Right? Boom. And she played upright bass. That is not <sighs> easy. I would love to learn upright bass. That's like that's like an end of life dream for me, like when I'm older. Surprisingly, the WSFA radio station that fired Hank only a few years before hired him back as a songwriter for other shows the station aired. Oh, JK, you're really talented. Come back. <laughs> we can deal with you being shit-faced every day. That's fine. Well, did his drinking get a little bit better with marriage i feel like sometimes like they'll they'll kind of they'll they'll turn it around a little bit if there's like kids involved i feel like there was a constant ebb and flow to his drinking okay he always kind of had good intentions and intentions of getting sober that never stuck okay i think like his drinking was always a really big problem in his marriage and he would I get the impression that he would always be like, yeah, you know, uh, I'm going to make a a concerted effort to stop drinking and he'll stop drinking for a couple weeks and then he'll be right back on the wagon again. Yeah. Or like when he's home and he's with Audrey and the kids, he won't drink. But then as soon as he goes out and plays a show or tours, he's right back to drinking again. So it never, ever sticks. Even if he has the best of intentions, it never goes over. A year later, Hank and Audrey trekked up to Nashville so Hank could audition for the Grand Ole Opry. 
He was rejected because of his reputation as a drunk. But Audrey managed to get him an audition with Fred Rose, the president of the Acuff Rose music publishing firm. Fred loved Hank's style and signed him to a six-song contract. Only a few months later, Hank was in the studio recording his songs for the first time. Awesome. Like, wow. And that, that was, took a long time. Yeah, but that was all because of Audrey. Like, Go Audrey, Audrey, like, busted through <laughs> and was like, no, I'm talking to Fred Rose. Dude was in the middle of a ping pong tournament with his son. <laughs> She's like, no, I, I need to talk to Fred Rose because my husband is really great and he needs to hear him. Get ready to lose this tournament, Fred Rose, because I need to talk yeah. to you about my husband. Fuck your ping pong. Listen to my dude here. And he was like, that wasn't the first time I've heard someone say to fuck my ping pong. <laughs> gross. What? Fred, you're gross. Come on, man. Have some decorum. <laughs> the lady. There's a lady here. What's your mouth? And your son. Like, maybe don't talk like that in front of children. Um, it's nice speaking of things about people we don't know. Yeah, I like I like these alternate realities that we've made up. We don't know they're not true. They could be. We don't know. They might be. Two songs from the recording session, Never Again and Honky Tonkin, would be... <laughs> I cannot say that without saying it that way. Honky Tonkin. Honky tonking. <laughs> it's too serious. Yes, I know. That's why I said it like that. It's honky tonking. Honky tonking. <laughs> it sounds like you're saying somebody's name. It sounds like I'm on NPR. <laughs> Hello, this is Maggie Farrow, and today we're going to be talking about honky tonking. You're listening to honky- NPR News. NPR News. That was Honky Tonking <laughs> by Hank Williams. A classic song recorded in... 1947. <laughs> we got like significantly quieter for our NPR voices, by the way. Delicious dish. <laughs> <laughs> this is NPR News, Washington, D.C. Two songs from this recording session, Never Again and Honky Tonkin, would be successful, and MGM Records soon took notice. In 1947, Hank signed with MGM and immediately put out the single. Moving on over. Moving on over. And you probably know this song as one of the biggest hits of George Thorogood and the Destroyer's career. Oh, you're right. Moving on over. Yep, that one. (laughs) Yes, that one. (laughs) It was a huge hit, and it was one of the very first crossover hits. And the song resonated with country fans and rock and roll fans alike. Yeah. So Hank has a major hit, but Audrey started to push for more attention as well. She wanted to be a singer like her husband, and a good way to do that was to record duets with him. Like everyone does. Right. But she wanted more, but Hank's solo career was taking off, which put hers on hold. That could have been a contributing factor in their marital problems, and Hank's incessant alcoholism definitely was a factor. Okay. I think it's great. I think you should be ambitious. I think she's doing a lot for Hank. But at the same time, if you know, if you're getting into a situation knowing that Hank's kind of the moneymaker, you also have to understand that it's going to be hard for you to break into that. Right. Especially if you're not, if you're kind of mediocre as far as singing and playing goes. Right. You're going to always be overshadowed by Hank. Especially if he 
is already cultivating this image of like the lone drifter yeah kind of singular country guy lonely man right and that's that was the persona that he had right so people aren't really gonna respond very well to him doing duets with his wife you yeah, know and so for her at the same time i think it's great i think it's good that you're ambitious i think that it's good that you're trying but you can't expect overnight people to just fall in love with you right i think if she was ambitious in being a very successful manager to a very successful artist Mm -hmm. that would have been one thing but she wanted to be his manager but also wanted to be a star in her own right right i don't think she was good enough to be a star in her own right so it was never gonna happen even if she was riding hank's coattails it was never gonna happen she even if she did find some kind of success on her own, she would always be in Hank's shadow, and that would have caused problems, too. Right. So, what do you do? You know? You take what you can get. Right. You'd be happy that you're you should a manager really... for a very successful artist, and she does do some music with him, and I think you should focus more on the business side, and... Whenever you can get in a little music, it's when you can get it in. I mean, you also get to a certain point in your life where you realize, what am I capable of? What can I get done? Right. So I imagine them at this age, because they're like, what, early to mid-20s? Early 20s, I believe. Are probably the equivalent to us at our age now. So right. So it's like, I'm coming to an age where I'm thinking, okay, what can I do with myself now and be happy? So she needed to just, she, all right. She needed to look at what she was really good at. And really follow that. And you know what? Here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with being an awesome manager. No. To a fantastic star, especially as a woman. Right. So I would have taken it, girl. I would have been like, that's good. I'm good. I'm doing well good for myself. I think she was slightly delusional in the fact that she she probably thought she was really good at music. And by all means, she was good. Yeah. But she wasn't great. She wasn't standing out. She wasn't standing out. At all. Especially if you're playing second fiddle to Hank Williams. Yeah. It's even... Pretty much literal second fiddle to Hank Even when he's falling face first on the floor and can't fucking talk, you're still going to be playing second banana to Hank fucking Williams. And unfortunately, too, at this time, if you were going to be a woman musician at this time... Women in country didn't exist. Yeah, it was very rare, and the women that we've talked about that have been in country, yeah. like Loretta Lynn or June Carter, this or was any of these women, they were standout yeah. women. And this was ten to fifteen years before they even yeah. came out. Honey, I'm sorry. It's just it wasn't gonna happen. Yeah, it was not. It's gonna not happen. your fault. You're trying and trying counts. Yeah, and nobody's saying you didn't have some form of talent. Right, you did, and you were a really good manager, but. It just wasn't going to happen. Or for all we know, you were just before your time. Right. Granted, if she came out in the 60s. I think she would have done great. She would have done Especially a whole lot doing better. duets with her husband. I think she would have yeah. done way better. Yeah, I agree. But Audrey even left Hank briefly in 1948, but they would eventually get back together. And in 1949, <laughs> Audrey gave birth to their son, Hank Williams Jr. Jr. So for the next two years. Wait a minute, though. Did he legally change his name to Hank Williams? Who? Hank Williams. Because his name is originally something crazy pants. Yeah. So he legally changed it to Hank Williams. 
It yeah. wasn't just like a superficial, I'm going to drop all these names and as um, an artist come out as this. Yeah, thing. I'm pretty sure he legally changed it. Okay. Also. then I was going to say, wait a minute. Because if he didn't legally change it, Hank Williams is not technically a junior. Well, it's funny you mention theories. that. It's funny you mention that because at first, Hank Williams Jr. was not a junior. His real name is Randall Hank Williams. Huh. And then apparently at a some some concert shortly after he was born, Audrey declared that she was going to she was like christening him Hank Williams Jr. Okay. So I think at some point he officially changed his name to Hank Williams Jr. Or Audrey did, I'm not sure which one. But his his real name is actually Randall. They're all very confusing with their names. Yes. Yes, they are. For the next two years, Hank and Audrey lived in Shreveport, Louisiana, where Hank took a job on the Louisiana Hayride radio show. Oh. This radio show was broadcast all over the southern states, so it made him a household name. He toured around Louisiana and Texas, always coming back to Shreveport every Saturday to play on the Louisiana Hayride. And after a few more moderate hits, he scored big again with his song Love Sick Blues and I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Yeah. Which, I'm so lonesome I could cry, would become a really big hit for Elvis Presley later in his career. Yes. Which I think most people know it as, a, as an Elvis yeah. song. I When I first heard it, Hank Williams' version, I was like, no, this has to be before Elvis. But, huh. <laughs> but now I'm confused. Now I don't know. Now I know what to think. Every single song that Hank released as a single from here on out, would crack the top 10 country charts. Damn. And there were 19 of them. Every single one was a top 10 hit. Wow. That's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah, that's no joke. And the Grand Ole Opry could not ignore him now. I know you're a drunk, but, like, you're really good. But we... All right. I I guess so. But they officially inducted him. He made his debut at the Opry on June 11th, 1949, and received six encores. A lot. That's crazy. He had seven more hit songs in 1949 alone, including You're Gonna Change or I'm Gonna Leave (laughs) and T-Tots, My Bug Has Got a Hole in It. At this point, Hank has a major recording deal, several hits on his hands, and can basically do whatever he wants. So in 1950, he pulls a Bowie and debuts an alter ego. What? Hank Williams. He could have also pulled a Garth Brooks, though. (laughs) This is decidedly more David Bowie (laughs) than Chris Gaines. All right. But it could also be. Nothing compares to Chris Gaines. (laughs) Is that what Prince... That's what Prince was really writing about. Even though I'm pretty sure Nothing Compares to You came out way before Chris Gaines. Oh, yes, it did. But But whatever. He anticipated it. Conspiracy theories. Prince knew what Garth Brooks was about. Yes. (laughs) But now, in 1950, Hank Williams is now Luke the Drifter. Okay. That's... Okay. Hank is a very religious man, Mm -hmm. but he was also a smart man. He knew that releasing overtly religious songs under his own name could be detrimental to his career. Because mind you, at this point, late 40s, very early 50s country, it wasn't so God-driven 
as it is now. Well, kinda. five, six years later, you get Johnny Cash trying to sing his gospel tunes and they're just and not having yeah, it. Yeah, they didn't want it. Yeah, so that was, they were just sick of it, I guess. Which is funny because there were so many people, though, who were inspired by gospel. Right. Coming up. But white people didn't, like, regular fucking white people didn't want to listen to gospel music. They wanted to hear white people singing country songs. Fucking white people. Right? (laughs) This is white people's fault. I blame the white people. I I blame the white people for a lot of things. (laughs) So Hank created Luke the Drifter to be his holy roller kind of guy. Interesting. A rambling loner that waxes philosophical about humility, love, family, and what it is to have faith in God. Most of his recordings as Luke the Drifter are spoken word recitations with minimal singing. Recitations? Recitations sound stupid. So I'm saying recitations. I was going to say recitation sounds fancy. It does. Mm. I'm going with it. It was also supposed to be anonymous, but Frank himself kind of threw that out the window since he would often perform Luke the Drifter songs at his own shows. You just call him Frank again. I'm gonna. Just deal with it. All right. He's Frank Hank. (laughs) Frank Hank Williams. Frank 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 Frank, Williams. Frank Hank, the grape ape of country music. What? Why grape ape? (laughs) Because grape ape. Frank (laughs) Hank. Still never saw grape ape. Oh my God. You were missing out on your childhood. No. Such a good cartoon. (laughs) Hanna-Barbera really scored gold with that. (laughs) Grape Just really great. struck oil with grape ape there, <laughs> Hanna-Barbera. Good job, Hanna-Barbera. <laughs> Proud of you. But that's not to say that Luke the Drifter didn't resonate with people. It was immensely popular and would influence other musicians for decades. Despite some questionable song choices on the album, like one song called The Funeral. Mm-hmm. The Funeral was... It was actually not written by Hank. It was written by... Somebody else years before Hank recorded it, but it's a poem about a black child's funeral. Okay. And every everything I've read about Hank's recording of the song, everybody was like, Hank had really good intentions when Ooh. he recorded it. And immediately I'm like, oh shit, how when racist you hear is this? So and so had really good intentions, yeah. you know. Yeah, everyone's like but he, you could tell in his voice that he means nothing but, you know, good. Oh, what good is the song about? It depicts a black child's funeral um, somewhere in the South. And this uh, a presumably white guy happens upon this church where a black child's funeral is going on. And the parents are outside, like, wailing and crying and so upset. But there's a preacher inside going on about how... You know, God needed this child up in heaven and don't weep for this child because, you know, he's in good hands and everything. But they use the term colored about eh, five, six, seven times throughout the poem, which... That was kind of the times. I'm not trying to defend it. Well, it's like that is the term that like our grandparents would use to describe black people and... To them, the term colored is not racist, right. but the term is a term that white people use 
thinking they're not racist. Yeah. But really, yes. they're being fucking racist. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, they think they're like, oh, we're not saying the N-word. We're just saying colored. But that's just the nice N-word. You know? <laughs> colored is just the nice N-word. It is. It's the nice N-word that, you know, nice, well-to-do white people use when well, they feel like they're being... It's you a know. weird poem to begin with, because why is this white person waxing prosthetic on, like, this African-American funeral right. anyway? It's kind of... It's a weird... It's kind of just a, a way for this white person to feel okay with being, quote-unquote, not racist. You know, it's interesting, too, because it is a very interesting look on how white people... I don't know if I want to say white people in the South because it might have been white people ever, but just white people looked at people of color and attempted to reach out yeah, and drop the ball real hard. And it's it's definitely trying counts. It's definitely not just white people in the South because my grandmother would call black people colored. Yeah. All the time. And I'm even when I was a kid, I'm like, that's. No, don't it would make use you that. feel uncomfortable. Even yeah. when we were children, to hear like, the word "colored" felt yeah. weird. And I understand and she it didn't been... think she was being racist, right. but to me, I'm like, no, that's pretty racist. You don't use that word. This poem didn't just use the word "colored" too much, but they also decided for some reason to describe the features of one of of either the preacher or or no of the child actually. Yeah. Um. And they literally said he had a wide nose and protruding lips. I'm like, why you gotta eh, talk about that though? You really don't need to. That's unnecessary. Why are you even talking about a black child's funeral to begin with? Because it just you could just talk about a funeral. It just seems like it's a white dude talking about this, trying to have sympathy to make himself feel good about himself. It just feels like you know what. You don't. You don't have to say it's anything about like, this. It's kind of like who are you to comment on something like this? Yeah, I. I don't know. I just still think it's hilarious that everything that I read about this song, everyone was like, "He had really good intentions." Like intentions don't mean shit if you're being kind of racist about it. Right, but I think also, I think it is good to be aware of the times and. I think for the sake of conversation, because I think what's good about something like this is that it does open up, open up the conversation yeah. of saying like, well, okay, I can see what you're doing mm-hmm. and I can see you're not a bad person and I can see that you're trying to do the right thing. Right. But this is why this isn't the right thing. Right. So from that angle, I think I can see where this is not necessarily the worst thing. Yeah. And maybe it could have possibly opened up more white people's eyes yes. to the fact that black people are fucking human. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that people of color are also human? This is not far off from slavery. And it's so, really and isn't. And the South and country music is very much rooted in the South. I, yeah. So there's a lot of of racism in there and this is a white guy who is talking about a black child's funeral and having sympathy yes so that's something it's something for the times so by all means this was progressive for 1950 (laughs) all right take what we could get i guess we're taking it (laughs) but musical greats like bob dylan were heavily influenced by the emotive storytelling hank used throughout the album oh i'm sure 
So Hank got Luke the Drifter out of his system, and he's back to <laughs> writing his own songs. And he released a ton of them. He had hit after hit, one of his biggest being Cold Cold Heart, was mm-hmm. which was actually a B-side to the single Dear John. But the same year Hank released it, 1951, Tony Bennett released a cover of the same song. It skyrocketed to the top of the pop charts, coming in at number one and staying there for 27 weeks. Wow. And this happens a lot with country music, or at yeah, least I music that. in general around this time. Like, a country artist will release a song, and only a few months later, somebody else will yeah. make, like, a pop version or a rock version or something, and that will shoot to the top of the fucking charts. Yeah, I noticed that a lot when researching for Johnny Cash. Mm-hmm. It's it's very big in that community. The same year, he appeared on television for the first time. He appeared on the Perry Cuomo show. Perry Como show. Perry Como show. Perry Como show, where he and the host performed Hey Good Looking together. What you got cooking? Nah. The same year, he also signed a motion picture deal with MGM Studios. Ooh. So he was gonna make some movies. Maybe. Maybe. On the surface, it seemed like his career was soaring. Yeah. This was undeniably the peak of his career. So he's at the peak of his career. He is peaking right now. This is peak Hank Williams. Peak Hank. Yes. <laughs> but Hank's personal life was in the dumps. Oh. And things were beginning to unravel. In November of 1951, Hank suffered a fall while out hunting with his bandmate. Oh, no. This reactivated his back issues, and he started taking painkillers, mainly morphine, and combined with alcohol to numb himself to the excruciating pain he was in. That's not a good combo. Oh, no. That's a bad combo. That's never a good thing. Oh, no. So on December 13th, 1951, he underwent surgery in an attempt to fix his back problems and relieve him of some pain. And unfortunately, the surgery just made things worse. Ugh. I feel like back surgeries are always that. It's either going to make it, you're either going to be cured or it's going to be hell. Yeah. This was all too much for Audrey. She had given him ultimatums in the past. It was either her or the booze. And it was clear he chose the hard drinking life. Compounding that was the fact that he was cheating on her. Uh, he of had, he was. He had at least one affair with a woman named Bobby Jett, after which she became pregnant. Bobby Jett, I believe, also had an affair with Johnny Cash. That might be where I've heard that name. I think it was Bobby Jett. It was either Bobby Jett or his, or Hank's second wife. I can't remember now. No, it was Hank's second wife. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, then it wasn't Bobby Jett. It we'll, was not Bobby we'll Jett. We'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to that. Spoilers. <laughs> Hank gets married again. So he had an affair with Bobby Jett. She became pregnant. So with Hank putting alcohol above Audrey and the fact that she could no longer rely on him to make a career in music herself... Along with his infidelity, she left him and took the children with her. That's fair. Totally understandable. That's fair. You know what? You gotta, you gotta know when to fold them. Know when to hold them? Know when to run? I don't know. I don't I, know. We sing that really wrong. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Those matters. Hank attempt to kick his alcoholism habit for good when, before the divorce was final. He was admitted to the North Louisiana Sanitarium on May 21st, 1952. Yo, when a place is called a sanitarium, like, I just don't think that that's going to be a great place. (laughs) 
Well, apparently there is a difference between a sanitarium and a sanatorium. I believe the sanitarium was for the crazy people. Okay. And yes. apparently also alcoholics who were trying to get over their addiction. Okay. Um, sanatoriums were for people trying to recover from tuberculosis. Oh. So that if, is quite different. So if you ever see one or the other, now you know which is which. They're different. They are different. Uh, so he went to the sanitarium on May 21st, 1952, but by the 24th, he'd already left. Wow. Three days he made it. And then he booked it. Try and counts. But he and Audrey were officially divorced in June 1952. In the divorce settlement, she was awarded their house and full custody of Hank Jr., as well as half of Hank Sr.'s royalties on the condition she never remarried. Huh. That's interesting. Because arguably, she's half the reason he got where he got. Yeah. That's kind of some bullshit. It's some real bullshit. She also retained the professional title of Hank Williams's widow after his passing. Oh. Yeah. Apparently that's an official title, but she would have to relinquish that eventually to his second wife. Spoilers. Well, I'm I'm not going to mention it again. But... Okay. <laughs> but now everyone knows he's dead. Every... <laughs> He had to die at some point. Um, he was born in what, 1920? 23. He could have lived to 100. I think we would have heard from him in the last 60 years. (laughs) Hank continued his hard drinking ways, and for a while now, he'd constantly be missing scheduled performances and appearances. Oh, jeez. He was missing them because he was too drunk to get to the venue. And when he actually did get to the venue, he'd be either too drunk to perform or give a completely shit performance. So you're saying that he no longer had a soccer mom nor a soccer wife to get him to where he needed to go. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's sad. He was a (laughs) helpless teenager without a license. And very drunk. (laughs) Very drunk. Mostly drunk. He was a drunk and clueless 16 year old without a license okay so like a regular 16 year old (laughs) a regular 16 okay without an uber app (laughs) if only they had uber back then if only they just had to rely on a chance encounter with a random horse to get them home well like there's a horse i'm jumping on it taking it the horse's name is uber Name my horse Uber. That's it. The other one over here is named Lyft. Oh, Lyft and Uber. <laughs> Great horse. I'm names. gonna get two horses. Name them Lyft, Lyft and Uber. <laughs> if I was Amish. Oh my God. He he was missing shows because he was too drunk. Eventually, he was reduced to playing gigs at bars and clubs. Oh no. Instead of performance halls and the Grand Opry. The Grand Ole Opry. Oh no. He gained a reputation for being unreliable, and people refused to work with him. That included his longtime manager and mentor, Fred Rose. Fred Rose was not taking breaks from his ping pong games for nah, Hank he wa- Williams He anymore. wanted to get back on that ping pong game. He was like, you know what's more important than you right now, Hank Williams? Ping a pong. ping pong game. Ping pong. It's really suffered now that I've had to manage <laughs> you. I'm getting back in it. I have a career. In ping pong. I have a title uphold. God (laughs) damn it. And Fred stepped down as Hank's manager around the same time Audrey divorced him. Oof. 
Yeah. Oof. So he was essentially abandoned by the two closest people in his life at the same time. Making matters even worse, the Grand Ole Opry itself, the institution Hank worked so hard to be accepted to, unceremoniously kicked him out on August 11th, 1952, citing his frequently missed shows and, once again, quote-unquote, habitual drunkenness. If it makes you feel any better, Hank Williams, I think that's kind of what the Grand Ole Opry does. I think they unceremoniously get rid of most everybody because everyone was addicted to something back then. Yeah. So, mind you, despite his downward spiral, he was still churning out hits. Ramblin' Man, Hey Good Lookin', Jambalaya, Colliga, and Yurchi and Hart were all recorded and released in 1951 and 1952. Yurchi and Hart is one of those songs that you don't remember until you hear it, and then I remembered hearing it in some commercial. Yes! What was the commercial? I don't know, but it was, it was like... a hotel... Or yeah. the lottery. It was something so, sketchy. It was something that just had like a super like oh, yeah. sad and down and out dude just like yes. Charlie Brown walking Charlie in. Charlie Brown in it. <laughs> oh my god. Please, if you remember the commercial with the Your Cheat and Heart song in it. It was just like. A, at us. At us. I need to know what it this was commercial like, was. I know there was cheat in heart. heart. We'll tell on you. Yeah. And there's just a lonely guy. <laughs> Doing something and I can't sad remember. sad and lonely. And I don't remember what it was for. I want to see it was for a hotel, but I could be wrong. We could probably just fucking Google no, it. No, I want... I want somebody to tell us. lovely fans to tell us. We're doing this the old-fashioned way. <laughs> Indeed. Hank was seeing a lot of money padding his bank account. Okay. Because he had fucking shit ton of hits right now. Right. And he was blowing it as fast as he was making it. Most of his money going to narcotic painkillers and alcohol. Cool. Sounds like good times. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Yay. While all of this was going on, his divorce, his manager abandoning him, his alcoholism spiraling out of control, his painkiller habit gaining speed, relentless recording and song after song shooting to the top of the charts, Hank somehow found time to fall in love again. Aww. Try to love again. (laughs) In mid-1952, Hank met Billie Jean Jones, who was the one who had the affair with Johnny Cash. Yes. While he was still married to Vivian. Yes. Um, He met her at the Grand Ole Opry when she was still the girlfriend of country singer Farron Young. They were so taken with each other that on October 18th, 1952, only a few short months after meeting, they were married. Hank was 29 and Billie Jean was 19. Whoa. Ooh. <laughs> that's an age gap. Ooh. That's, that's more of an age gap than Loretta Lynn and Do. Yeah, that is. It's just a different time period, but still, this age was gap. A little bit earlier. Hashtag age gap. They really like their age ca- gaps in country on. music. Yeah. I don't think it should catch on, though. And also... Can it not? (laughs) Jerry Lee Lewis married his 13-year-old cousin. Let's not forget. And Johnny Cash had a thing for a 16-year-old. Yep. So... They grew up fast back then, didn't they? They grew up fast. Could you imagine? Can you imagine? But seriously, think back to when you were 15 or 16. If a dude in his 20s was into you... I would be so freaked out that anyone was into me... Period. Yup. Period. Period. Like, I didn't know how to handle that. I, I was still in, don't know how to handle that. eighth grade. Like, 
Come on. Dude, chill. I'm in high school. Cousin. 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 They were related. And they were first, weren't they? Probably. Well, I wouldn't put it past them. First you got your cousins. Then you have your first cousins. (laughs) Wait, that's not right. (laughs) I'm a mouse. Duh. (laughs) Hey, Seth, wait up. (sighs) But this marriage hearkened the beginning of the end. Around the time of his second marriage, Hank started experiencing heart problems. He suffered a heart attack. Mind you, he was only in his late 20s. Oh my God! Yeah. He had a heart attack when he was like 28. What? Yeah. No. Yeah. That's too young. This is what drinking does to you. (laughs) Holy shit. I don't know why you're saying that to she, me. She says that she gulps down her... I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what, what you're talking, talking about. about. This stuff is delicious. It's just water. It's fine. <laughs> 10%. <laughs> so, Hank hired a quote-unquote doctor... Oh, no. ...named Horace Toby Marshall, who, by all means, was a complete fucking hack. Cool. Reportedly an alcoholic himself... Horace Marshall was a felon previously convicted of forgery who had been released from the Oklahoma State Penitentiary in 1951 on parole. Is he like that kid who was like 19 and pretended to be a doctor? Doogie Hauser? No, he was 16 and was an actual doctor. <laughs> no, there was a kid. I want to say he was in Florida, but I don't think it was actually Florida. Horace. No, it, 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 everything it like that shit happens in Florida. Florida. No, genuinely, a couple years ago, there was this 19-year-old posing as a doctor, and he got away with it for a few months until they finally caught him, but he was pretending to be an Are actual you doctor. Me? Yeah, and it's when Mike was trying to get a residency. I'm like, bitch, why can't you just do this? People were still falling for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, it had to People be still fall for the Prince of Zimbabwe scam or Nigeria but or whatever like it is. But they're like 85-year-old grandmas. They don't know. They're- yeah, he was seeing a lot of 85-year-old grandmas. So that's why I'm assuming this is. I'm assuming this is that kind of scam where he's like, I'm totally a doctor. Here's yeah. some drugs. Yeah. I think I'm going to give Hank the benefit of the doubt and... Say that I'm pretty sure he realized this guy was not a real doctor. Okay. I think Hank just wanted his narcotic painkillers. Yeah. And it was easier to do it this way and more legit to do it this way than to buy coke off of some dude off the street. All right. Which he could get in trouble for. This way he has a... "Quote unquote legitimate doctor With doing legit prescriptions and getting him prescription narcotics right. instead of getting them off the street." Right, right, right. No, that makes sense. I'm I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt and saying he's a smart enough guy to figure that shit out. Was it the benefit of the doubt, or we're just saying he's he's smarter than than the average drug addict? <laughs> That, Yogi think, Williams think, here. <laughs> hey, boo boo. Got a picnic basket. Full of cocaine. cocaine. Let's <laughs> fucking get blitz. Boo boo. <laughs> gonna have know. a good day. I don't know, Yogi. I don't think we should be doing any drugs. We're gonna have a good day in Yellowstone today. <laughs> boo boo. We gotta. You got hey, the boo-boo. munchies. I got a picnic basket. Hey, boo boo. I got emphysema. <laughs> Anyway, 
<laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. This guy was a fucking hack. And he fancied himself a doctor of science, which is a degree that goes beyond a PhD. However, oh. that was all bullshit. He had no credentials whatsoever. You don't say. And in fact, bought his doctorate title from the Chicago School of Applied Science for $25. I wish I could have just bought my degree for $20. Right? right? That would have saved me so much money. And time. Right? Yep. But for some reason, Hank trusted this guy. Maybe Hank knew he was a bogus doctor, like we just said, and he just used him to get prescription painkillers. Who knows? But the fact is, Horace Marshall directly contributed to Hank Williams' death. Under the fake name of Dr. C.W. Lemon, Horace Marshall prescribed to Hank morphine, amphetamines, secanol, which is a barbiturate, and chloral hydrate, a sedative often prescribed to alleviate withdrawal system symptoms. What the does this, was he just writing words? Was he like fucking playing darts with words and like I'll prescribe this and this and this and this? Yep, he was fucking dude was prescribing him uppers and, and sedatives. Yeah, at the same time, knowing he was an alcoholic. Well, like. <sighs> I mean, Johnny Johnny Cash was doing the same thing, but I think it was different because it wasn't as many as what Hank was doing. And he he drank, but I think Hank, like, drank. I th- Hank drank. But this is not shit you should be taking after you just had a heart attack and have nope. a serious alcohol problem. Nope. At 28. At 28. At 28. You just had a heart attack Jeez. and you're prescribing the guy amphetamines and sedatives at the same time while he's still drinking. This this is where it gets a little bit confusing. But, bear with you. But bear with me. Alrighty. So Hank had two performances scheduled at the ass end of 1952. One in Charleston, West Virginia on December 31st and one in Canton, Ohio on January 1st, 1953. So New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Okay. He was at his home in Montgomery, Alabama, and needed to get from there to Charleston. He was going He was going to go by plane, but there was a severe ice storm in the Nashville area, and all planes were grounded. So he hired a college student named Charles Carr to drive him from Montgomery to Charleston. Okay. Ironic, his last name was Carr. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> en route, Charles called the auditorium in Charleston to say... That because of the ice storm, they were grounded in Knoxville, Tennessee, and wouldn't be able to make it. Hank's management said okay, waited out, and in the morning, head over to Canton instead. They were just going to forget about the West Virginia show, just go to Canton. Okay. While stranded at the Andrew Johnson Hotel in Knoxville, Charles requested a doctor for Hank who wasn't feeling well. That was because on the day, on the way to Knoxville, he had ingested the chloral hydrate Dr. Fuckface Marshall, Marshall <laughs> prescribed along with a good deal of alcohol and he was feeling the effects. Yeah. A legit doctor named P.H. Cardwell gave Hank two injections of vitamin B12 that contained morphine. Not entirely sure why he gave Hank something with more narcotics no. in it, but it probably didn't help much. When you first said B12, I thought, oh, oh, B12, good, vitamins. B12, good, good. Oh, oh, morphine. Why? No, why? 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 Why would you, why would you put morphine in B12? Oh, okay. B12 is fine. You don't need the morphine. Because it's the 50s and they're like, well, we don't do the cocaine anymore, but we love this morphine. It makes everybody feel great. 
Morphine, 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 morphine party for everybody. More morphine for everybody. Wash it down with a good chug of whiskey. There you go. You'll feel great in the morning. So Hank and his driver then checked out of the hotel, and the bus boys reportedly had to help drag Hank out of the hotel and into the car. Oh, no. Around midnight, while resting at an all-night restaurant in Bristol, Virginia, Charles asked Hank if he wanted anything to eat. Hank said no, he did not. They continued driving, and when Charles stopped for gas in Oak Hill, Virginia, he realized that Hank, sitting in the back seat, was dead. He had been dead for some time, as rigor mortis had already set in. Holy shit! Yeah. And mind you, Tennessee and Virginia are right next to each other. Yeah. So he made two stops in Virginia, and granted, there were there weren't any like super highways or anything. At this point, they were probably driving two-lane roads the whole time. So it took them a lot longer to drive from Knoxville to anywhere in Virginia. But still, like, it's it's only a few hours. Yeah. It's probably like, what, four or five, maybe? I would say probably about four or five hours between the first stop in Virginia and the second stop in Virginia. Yeah. And somewhere in between there, Hank died, and he'd been driving a dead man this whole time. Oh, that's kind of creepy. really unsettling. It's really, really creepy. Oh, that's really unsettling. Hank was only 29 years old. He'd been married to Billie Jean for only two and a half months. His daughter with Bobby Jett, named Jet Williams, was born only five days after he died. Holy shit. Yeah. What I a- didn't realize he was that young. Yeah. That's... He wasn't even 30. He had, like, just turned 39. Or 29. 20... Oh my god! Oh my yeah, god! I did. I I knew that there was some weird thing with his his death when I first started researching for right. this. I didn't realize he died so young. I didn't realize he had done so much shit before he died either. Well, you know, and it harkens back to the Johnny Cash episodes when Billie Jean is having the affair with him, and just remembers. And one of the biggest reasons she wouldn't commit to Johnny was the drugs. Yeah. And it's, this makes so much sense now. This is completely full circle. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, yeah, this of is course. why. This is why she probably wouldn't. She didn't want this to happen to her again. Right. She had just gotten married to him practically. Yeah. Oh my God. That's crazy. The coroner performed an autopsy and determined that Hank died from insufficiency of the right ventricle of the heart. Basically, he died of heart failure, more than likely brought on by the lethal combination of drugs prescribed by him, prescribed to him by Horace Marshall and whatever the doctor in Knoxville gave to him compounded by alcohol. Again, B12, oh god, morphine, why? Yeah, probably not a good idea. But the official cause of death didn't stop the conspiracy theorists. Ooh. Also included in the official autopsy was a blurb concerning Hank's physical appearance. According to the coroner, Hank had recently been severely beaten and kicked in the groin and also had a welt on his head. A lot of people questioned how he got these injuries and cried foul play. However, I wouldn't doubt that a drunken high Hank Williams had sauntered into a bar the night before and got into a bar fight. Oh my god. Uh, oh yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. Right? That is a really good point. He has a history of bar fights. I was so. about ready to jump on that conspiracy theory train, but <laughs> I think yours makes a lot more sense. Right? And who knows? Like, 
I, where would he have gotten those injuries between when he first got in the car in Alabama and maybe they found when they him were dead. dragging him out, they dropped him, but <laughs> they would have had to like slam him into the pavement. Maybe they dropped him down the stairs. <laughs> it's just fucking weekend at Bernie's. Oh my god, they weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> Hank fucking... Williams before he died. But I mean, that's where they got the inspiration for the movie. They might have. Let's not put it past Hollywood now. It's just <laughs> Hank Williams in a windbreaker suit oh my in the eighties. Sunglasses. sunglasses. Oh my god. <laughs> that's horrible. That is horrible. We're not good people. People also questioned when Hank died. The fact that Charles Carr noted that rigor mortis had set in when he found Hank dead in the back of his car what could suggest that he knew Hank was dead at the hotel in Knoxville. The busboys that carried him to the car could have just thought he was unconscious or asleep. But that begs the question, why would Charles Carr have driven so far with a dead Hank Williams in his back seat if he could have just said in Knoxville, yo, he's dead. Don't put him in my car. <laughs> That's fair. Right? Also, how, do you think it was cold? Was it cold down there? It I'm January. sure it was. It was End of December, early Temperature January? Temperature can determine how fast rigor mortis can set in. Right. So maybe. I and mean... He could have. I mean, if they're just dragging out a limp dude, he he could be dying as they're putting him in the car. But on their way from Knoxville to Virginia, they stopped. And Charles Carr asked Hank if he wanted anything to eat. And Hank he said, said no. no. So he was obviously alive after they left Knoxville. Yeah. And honestly, rigor mortis can set in a lot quicker than people think. Right. It can set in within a matter of like two or three hours. Right. So if he did it when they first got into Virginia, and then he checked again when they were about to leave, yeah. it could be plausible that he would have rigor mortis. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't check out how far it was between um, their first stop and their second stop right. in Virginia, but if it was... A matter of a few hours, which Virginia is the most endless fucking state to drive through in the world. So we know I, because we just drove through it a couple months ago. And that's on a major highway. So I can imagine it took them at least like seven hours at least to get through Virginia. Yeah. So if you're stopping just over the border, which is where their first stop was, mm-hmm. just over the border in Virginia, and then you drive another five, six hours. Yeah. I mean. Morse can easily set in. Absolutely. So... As much as people want a conspiracy theory to happen here, I really don't think that there is. And I think, too, it, it's just, it's a simpler time. It's not. And what would Charles Carr have to gain out of he this? Even, out he of lying about it. Hank Williams. He was just hired to drive this guy to fucking wherever, to Ohio, West yeah. Virginia and Ohio. So he has no stake in this. He's ne- not going to make any money. Negligent driver makes way more sense than conspiracy theory. Right. Maybe he just thought that Hank was passed out in the back seat. Like, oh, Hank's sleeping. Yeah. Oh shit! No, he's dead. Oh, oh fuck! He's dead. Oh man, I feel kind of bad for the kid now. He's just a college Can student you trying imagine? to make some money. Oh my god! A celebrity just dying in the back of your car, and you're like, and then, and then for the rest of your life, everyone was like. Well, what did you do? And then you just feel like an idiot. Yeah. I would feel like an idiot. Like, I just, I just... No offense, but I would feel like an idiot. Yeah. Only three days after his death, Hank was interred in the Oakwood Annex in Montgomery, Alabama, in a silver coffin. Ironically, his last single released before he died was titled, 
I'll never get out of this world alive. Oh. Oh, that's sad. Yep. Oh. Yeah. Oh. In the very few short years that Hank was really popular, he put out, like, I think over 20-something singles. And so many, most of them were top 10 hits. And all uh, there's a lot of songs now that are just, you know, standards. Yeah. They're, oh, there's a ton of, when I was listening through his music, there's a lot of songs I thought, oh, I do know this. I yeah. know a lot more Hank Williams than I thought I knew. Yeah, there were a lot of songs where I was like, oh shit, I didn't know Hank Williams did this song. I didn't yeah. know this was his. I didn't know I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry was his. I mm-hmm. didn't know that um, Hey Good Looking was his. Yeah. I didn't know any of that shit. So good He's, for you, Hank. He really, he, it's amazing how in such a short amount of time he did really solidify his legacy. Yeah. So with Kate, with stories like this, I, I always leave myself wondering, like, holy shit, like, he lived such a short and sad life. It sucks that he just, he was addicted to all these drugs, and then he dies, and it's such a sad, lonely death. But then you wonder, well, if he wasn't addicted, would he, if he had had this career, would this have happened? Would he have had this success? And if he lived beyond this, would his son have had his career? Would his grandson right? have his career? Right. I mean, and honestly, too, it can. the argument could be made for a lot of these musicians who die young is that they die before they could have had their downward fall. Mm-hmm. So they're always going to be remembered in this in this amazing spotlight. Yeah. So. Well, it, it's that it's better to burn out than to fade away kind of thing because nobody ever sees the everybody remembers you at your peak because that's when you burned out. Nobody yeah. sees the fading of your career and your your influence in your life, which is the fading away. So. I mean, everyone's going to remember you because you went out on top. And also, like, holy shit, that's that's a way to go. Yeah. That's that's not oof. That's that's a big oof. <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. That's, that's sad. And, you know, despite the fact that he got kicked out of the Grand Ole Opry, I'm sure now they're kind of kicking themselves for kicking him out. Right. And... I'm pretty sure he's back to being part of it. I mean, it would be stupid if they didn't reinstate him. Yeah. Oh, so, just as like a like a like an honorary posthumous. Honorary. Oh yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. When I mean, again, they did it to Johnny Cash. They've done it to others. You know, they they want to have this clean, live in, like supreme but look. It's, but, but it's but the fucking oh, rebels oh, that have the biggest influence, right? And it's and they. If you're in, if you're in the biz, you're gonna have some kind of problem. It's yeah. gonna be drugs. It's gonna be alcohol. Who knows what it is now? But they're gonna have something, and it's just a human flaw that you need to accept with it. And while I'm not saying like you have to condone it, at the same time you can't just like act like you're clean and prim and proper. Yeah, because pretty much everybody who's walked through your doors has had something. So get over yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Moral of the story: Get over yourself. <laughs> That's crazy though. I it's it's crazy how short yet prolific of a life Hank Williams had. Yeah. And his son ended up having a pretty successful musical career. Oh yeah. I'm not a fan. I, it's it, I feel like 
Hank Williams is pretty universal. Hank Williams Jr. is a little more pretty exclusively country, almost yeah. new country, and I'm yeah. not super into new country. Yeah. And he... And I, that doesn't... He's talented in his own right. He does his thing, and that's good. I mean, the thing I know him most for is contributing his one song to the NFL promo thing, which... <laughs> Got yanked because he said some pretty choice shitty things. And Hank the Third. I actually don't know anything about Hank Jr. Jr. (laughs) Hank Second Jr. Jr. again. (laughs) The Juniring. Hank Jr. 2. The Revenge of Jr. (laughs) These are all names that no one has. The Juniring. It's happening. What about um, him? <laughs> Hank the Third is more like punk rock country. Oh, he's, interesting. Yeah, he's more into punk rock and some metal. And I, I don't know, because he, he's in a band with fucking Phil Anselmo from Pantera, oh. who I don't, I, I do not condone Phil Anselmo. You don't fuck all. with him? Nope. The only time I've ever really seen him talk extensively with any commentary was in a documentary called The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia, um, which is a great documentary. If you can get your hands on it, fucking watch it because it's fantastic. Um, And it was uh, interesting to see him talking. I believe he had- This is Junior? This is the third. Okay. I, I believe he had a mullet- Okay. In his commentary scenes, cool, cool. if I remember correctly, but that should tell you all you need to know about Hank Third. Okay. I'm I'm not going to. They have their own they legacies. They have their own stories, and someday we'll probably get to them. They have their own legacies. I'm not entirely sure they're triumphantly carrying the torch of their father and grandfather, but they got their own thing going on. They got a thing. It's people, happening. People like them. It's a thing. Good for them. They have their fans. Yeah. It's great. But none of it would have happened without their dad. And granddad. Mr. Hank Williams. Yeah. The first. A very tragic and interesting story. Indeed. If if short. Yeah. So good for him. That was a lot. No, not good for him. What am I talking about? No, I mean. No, not good for him. I mean, like, not ungood for him either. Hank Williams, undecided. And that's where we're leaving it. (laughs) But I mean, he was 29 when he passed away and he had like dozens of of hits under his belt, two marriages, a kid. Some kids. And like, yeah, two two kids. kids. Like, that's a lot for a 29 year old. Yeah, he arguably has way more than I probably will when I die at 65, so... Yeah, I mean, he had had a heart attack, so he already has a leg up on you. Yeah. Well, I'm getting cancer. I'm (laughs) dibs in it now. We're all getting cancer. But, like, (laughs) I'm getting super cancer. (laughs) God damn it, I get the best cancer. It's bigly cancer. Tremendous cancer. Tremendous cancer. You believe won't even believe me. it. Believe me. Believe me. I'm gonna have the biggest cancer you've ever seen. I think that is a good place to fucking cut a tie in that one. In terms of cancer, it would be a lot of cancer. A lot of cancer. Anyway, I think that's 
So we're gonna leave. We should it. cut this here. I don't know. Yeah, we're cutting this here. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you all for listening. If you are still listening to our morbid, <laughs> bizarre conversations about how we're gonna die, or or you know, our conversations just about you know amazing musicians who had crazy ends to their lives, whatever. Anyway, but thank you. We appreciate you. And if you like us and appreciate us, you should subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you catch your pods, and you should leave us a review and a rating. That would be pretty GD rad if you could do that. That would be nice. We'd appreciate it. And uh, you can also follow us on the internets at Twitter at Rock Candy Pod and Facebook and Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast and our website www.rockcandypodcast.com. Got a couple days left. If you have something that you want us to talk about in November, whether it be a band or an album or a genre of music, let us know because this weekend we're going to pick what we're going to talk about in November. Mm-hmm. So we're going to give you a couple more days. Please DM us on any of the things or email us at contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. And, you know, shout out and let us know what you want to hear. Anything. Anything. We've gotten some crazy things. Some really good suggestions, too. Which I'm kind of really excited about. Yeah, we're going to have to pick them out this weekend, and it's probably going to be tough. So, get them in. We might have to put them in a hat. Yeah, we actually might have to put some in a hat, because it's it's tough. (laughs) There's some good ones. You guys are doing a good job. Proud of you. Well, tune in next week. Um, October's going to be fun. Spoopy month. We're going to have a spoop month. Spoopy month. Get ready to be spooped out of your pants. Because we're going to do spoopy You're going to spoop your pants. You're going to spoop your pants every week with us. Yeah. Rock Candy Podcast. And also, <laughs> you. Oh, me. Are hosting. Yeah. Trivia. Next week. October next week. 3rd at Rare Form in Troy, New York. So if any of few listeners are relatively local even i would give i'd give you an hour outside of troy um red form <laughs> is a fantastic brewery you should go to anyway. it period like but every wednesday good. they do trivia and it's not like regular trivias they actually make their own questions yeah it's none of that you know it's none of the pre the predetermined, predetermined bullshit no actually i greg and um, whoever else I know, sometimes usually the other hosts, I'm guest hosting, so I'm not helping to answer <laughs> the questions. I'm throwing them a couple, but, uh, but a shout out to Greg cause he does work really hard on the questions. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. They make them all themselves and that's really awesome because, uh, that's the kind of trivia I prefer. I don't really like to do the weird grouping or like, the random shit. Every every week it's a different theme yeah. also. So the theme that is going to be the week that you're hosting is cults. Cults. Yes. Which that's, we are that's all about. Right up my alley. That's, <laughs> we we are big fans of true crime too, and we're actually gonna incorporate that a yeah. lot in episodes next month yeah. in October. So if you're yeah. into that or if you have friends or family that are into that, let them know because we're gonna do it next month. Yeah, because and uh you can get your DJ shouty mouth on. Oh, I am going to DJ shouty mouth <laughs> hard. So come on out to Trivia at Rare Form on Wednesday. Yeah, October 3rd. If you want to come, even if you just want to come and say hi, be like, hey, Maggie, and hey, just, Ashley, and we'll be like, hey. Even if you don't want to participate, we will be there. Yeah. They also have really good pretzels and really good beer, so I'll yeah. do it. All right. I think that covers everything for this week. Mm-hmm. So we're going to wrap it up, but uh, we'll see you kids next week. And with that, uh, party on, Ashley. Party on, Maggie. Party on, you crazy kids out there. Bye. Bye.